I'm going to read uh, from chapter 6 in a moment, but <clears throat> just to give you a quick overview of where we're at, you'll remember that when we began reading the book of Daniel, he was really young. He was a teenager. He'd been taken captive uh, from Jerusalem into in the Babylon. Um, but by the time we get to chapter 6, he's now an old man. He's, he's in his 80s. The captivity is over. Many of the citizens of Jerusalem who were taken captive have now returned to Babylon, and there's been a number of changes in power. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer king, and Belshazzar, the last person to hold office, has died suddenly following a drunken party with his friends, showing off how powerful and impressive he is, boasting about how influential his family was, and he used the goblets and the vessels from the Jerusalem temple to, to play beer pong with. You know, he had just like a big drunken party boasting about all these things that had been seized, showing off the things that he possessed, engaging in idol worship with the things from God's temple. And in the middle of this party in chapter five, the color drains from the king's face as this hand, this mysterious hand appears and writes some things on a wall. Can you imagine that? Just a hand just writing things on the wall. We're, we're used to seeing writing on the wall, aren't we? In Northern Ireland, drug dealers will be dealt with. All touts are targets. We see intimidating words on the wall and we're used to seeing that kind of thing. And the king is intimidated by writing on the wall. He can't understand it, but the color drains from his face and he tries to get the enchanters and the magicians to interpret it, but they can't get a satisfactory interpretation. And somebody remembers that when King Nebuchadnezzar had a complex, perplexing dream, Daniel was able to help. And so Daniel is brought in and he says to King Darius, or no, sorry, not King Darius. He says to Belshazzar, the king who is in power before Darius, he says to him, your days are numbered. This is what the writing means. You've, you've been weighed in the balance and, and found wanting. Your kingdom is going to be divided between the Medes and, and the Persians. Your kingdom is soon going to be carved up. You are no longer going to be in power. And then Belshazzar dies that very night. And then we get to chapter 6. And Darius comes into power. I'm going to read the first 18 verses of chapter 6. And the words will be on your screen. So it pleased King Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. With three chief ministers over them one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, Advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. 
Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. These men then went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. We end there giving thanks to God for his word to us, and how he speaks to us today. Darius is immediately impressed with Daniel. Immediately. He's a new king, and he sets him as one of the top three government officials over 120 other satraps. And actually, he's the top one of the three. He became distinguished. <clears throat> the king planned to set him over all the kingdom. Daniel's an 80-year-old man who's proved himself faithful over and over and over again. He's no longer a teenager. He may, he may even be frail, but he just proves himself to be reliable and dependable and loyal over and over and over again. And it's noticed by the new king. He's an 80-year-old man, but he's, a, he's an intimidating presence to the other servants and government officials. They don't like the fact that Daniel is favored, and so they plot and scheme to try and get him out of the picture. They're motivated by jealousy. And obviously, also, there also is a racial undertone, racial prejudice to their hatred of Daniel. Verse 13, one of the exiles from Judah. They bring his nationality into it. He's one of the guys who's not from around here. Let's see what we can do with him. We want rid of him. They hatch a plan to trap him and they go to the king and concoct this plan and basically what they're doing is forcing Daniel to choose between serving the one true God or serving King Darius. 
They realize that they can't, they're not going to get Daniel, you're not going to trap him, you know, fiddling his expenses. He's not going to do anything dodgy in his tax return. He's not going to fiddle his timesheet. He's a man of integrity. And so they realize there is nothing that we can do to get him uh, persecuted by the law of the land. We're going to need to concoct something. And so they cause this law or edict to be written that will publicly mean that everyone has to pray to King Darius. And if you publicly pray to anyone else, then you're in trouble. What, what, what do you do with that situation? I was thinking about this. It's kind of like, you know, they issue this, they get the king to issue this decree that for 30 days you have to show loyalty. It's like the first ever email spam, you know, subscription account says, you know, you must opt in. You have been opted in to this thing. You have, although you didn't even sign up, you have subscribed 30 days of loyalty to King Darius. You're in automatically, and you're looking, aren't you, in this for the unsubscribe button? How can I get out of this? I didn't want this. I want to only pray to King Darius. I have other loyalties. I have other allegiances. There's a name above King Darius. Can I unsubscribe? Sure, you can unsubscribe. But if you unsubscribe, you end up in the lion's den. You must only pray to King Darius for 30 days. O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish. So what does the king do? <laughs> oh yeah, if, you will, if all of you think this is a good idea then, who am I? Who am I to stand in the way of your injunction? This sounds like a really good thing to cultivate loyalty, but actually it's going to bring King Darius into conflict with Daniel, who is very precious to him. Whoever doesn't pray to King Darius, whoever chooses to pray to anyone else will be cast into the lion's den for 30 days. You must pray to King Darius or you're in the lion's den. You thought your O2 contract was hard to get out of, right? 30 days. Daniel could easily think, well, I've been loyal for 80 years. What's a month? Or, or he could think, don't really need to pray at the window anymore. I, I could pray at my kitchen table and nobody would see. I don't need to pray out loud. I could just pray quietly. Daniel knew that the document had been signed. And he went to his house where they had windows open in the upper chamber opened towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously, verse 10. Daniel had a habit, a routine of prayer, something that he had done for many, many years. And now that there was a time of crisis, he continued in that routine of prayer. He keeps on praying as he had done. He kept the habit up. He doesn't pray in ignorance to the law. He knows this is going to cost him potentially his life. He's aware of the implications. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. He kept the habit up. He kept the routine up. He kept on praying. He didn't pray in ignorance thinking, oh my goodness, I've been caught out. I didn't realize he knew the consequences. On one of the occasions that I got caught speeding, I thought, 
I was still in a 50 mile an hour zone only to discover that I was in a 40 mile an hour zone. And so my defense was, I didn't realize, I didn't see the sign, I wasn't paying attention. I, that, I, I broke the law, but I didn't realize it and I suffered the consequences of four hours in one of those speed awareness classes. I think I would have learned my lesson, but anyway. Daniel couldn't say that. Daniel didn't say, well, I didn't realize. Otherwise, I, he was fully aware. Maybe you've broken the law in ignorance too. Maybe you ate the flakes in the treat cupboard that were actually for the pavlova to decorate the top of the pavlova and someone went to the cupboard to get the flakes. He says, where, where are the flakes? And they were for the pavlova. And like me, you say, well, I thought they were for match of the day. <laughs> That's what happens in my house. I sinned in ignorance. Your defense is, I didn't know. I didn't realize. I was unaware. Not for Daniel. He knew full well the consequences of his routine of prayer and he kept on praying. He knew that unsubscribing from the 30-day trial of praying to King Darius was going to be costly and he looks to Jerusalem and longs for its restoration. He longs for a temple to come there that will not be destroyed. For a temple that will be crucified on a cross and raised victorious to life. He longs for heaven to come to Jerusalem. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He longs for the restoration of Jerusalem. He longs for the arrival of a temple that cannot be destroyed. And he continues to pray. And as I thought about this during the week, I thought about the terrible excuses that I make for not praying. I was too busy I was too tired. I didn't want to miss the next episode of whatever was on TV. I got distracted. I fell asleep. I had a lot of people to see. None of my excuses cut it in comparison with what Daniel does in his habit of prayer. He knows it's going to cost him his life and he continues to pray. He knows that if I pray, it will mean entry into the lion's den. Even in this crisis, he persists with his habit or his routine of prayer. And I think it's really important to recognize that Daniel doesn't just pray because it's time of crisis. He does something that he had done previously. Maybe you're here this morning and life's okay. You're not in a crisis. Life is pretty good. Can I encourage you from this passage to establish a habit of prayer because we know how quickly life can change, how quickly the restrictions can change or the laws can change. We know how quickly life can change when we get a text message or a phone call or a letter or a, can you come back for another scan? Can we repeat the blood tests? And then we're like, what do I do? How do I cope? And we need habits and routines that will enable us to, to endure the crisis, to get through the crisis, not to think, what do I do now? But to think, what have I done before? And Daniel goes to the place of prayer that he has always gone to and prays three times a day. Do you have a place of prayer? Is there a kitchen chair? Is there a chair in your living room? Is there a beach that you walk on? Is there a path that you walk? Is it your bedside? Is there somewhere that you have, this is my place of prayer. This is where I go. This is what I do. This is my habit. Have you got a time? Is there somewhere you think, I will always pray at this time? Obviously, we, we struggle to keep our habits perfectly, but, but is there some kind of routine or habit that you can instill now? Is there something that you used to do that you need to get back to? 
Is there a time or a day or a place that could be your starting point? Could you say the Lord's Prayer at midday? Could you put a reminder on your phone and, and establish a routine of prayer? I know how easy it is to feel guilty about prayer. I felt guilty about prayer all week as I've been reading this passage and think I have to talk about prayer. Who am I? And it's not my ambition to say to you this morning, Daniel prayed three times a day. How many times do you pray a day? I don't want to weigh you down with burdens about that. What I want to do, what I want for my own life is to have a view of God like Daniel has that says, I know, I know that if I run to him, it will mean that I will end up in the lion's den. But it's better to run to him, no matter what. What kind of view must Daniel have of God to say, yeah, I, I know that the consequences of going to God are going into the lion's den, but I still choose to go to God because he's greater and more powerful. That there is something more appealing about going to the lion's den than, more appealing about going to God that, that makes him think, I can face the lion's den. I can face the lion's den because God is more appealing. God is more attractive. What is it that makes him want to run to God even though it means the lion's den? That's the kind of view of God I want. I like how Matt Chandler describes it. He says, most of us have a natural and good instinctual fear of physical harm. This keeps us stable from becoming suicidal. So it's not about not caring whether we live or die, really. The comparison here is to say that it makes no sense to run up a tree afraid of a kitten while walking up to a lion and slapping it in the face. Will we fear man while flouting God? In Daniel's view, there was a more powerful lion there was one who was to be more feared than the lions in the den. They were, there were kittens in the den. There was a lion that he had to go and spend time in the presence of. We need to understand and appreciate and grasp the power of God. To have a, a view of God that would draw us to him when we feel intimidated by our circumstances. To, to know that he is greater, more powerful. This God listens to my prayers. Someone who is more powerful than the lions listens to my prayers. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Why does Daniel pay no attention to King Darius or his word? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Heart of my own heart, whatever befalls, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Daniel has a vision of God that you and I need to have that will cause us to establish a routine of prayer that will make all the difference in the world in our times of crisis. And here in the New Testament, isn't this a, or in the Old Testament, isn't this a foretaste of what we see in the New Testament? When there's another time of crisis, when there's another impending death, and Jesus goes in the garden and says, Lord, yet not my will but yours be done. Because Jesus had established a habit and a, and a routine of prayer. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, we read these words, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus established a habit of prayer, a routine of prayer. Do you have a routine of prayer? Do you have a view of God that would cause you to continue to go to him in your times of crisis? You say the Lord's Prayer at breakfast or at midday or as you go to bed at night. Is there some way in which you can establish a, a routine or a habit of prayer, set an alarm on your phone, 
do something that will get you to have a view of God that will help you in your times of crisis. So we've got a routine of prayer, but then just really briefly, we want to see the reality of the protection, the reality of the protection that comes to Daniel. I think we're so quick to jump because we know the story. We know that the land's mouths were shut and we jump to verse 23. No kind of harm was found on him, but that is not what happens to Daniel initially. It's not initially no kind of harm was found in him. What happens when Daniel prays is so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the land's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Daniel is not spared the lion's den. He prays, he does the right thing and he gets punished. He acts with integrity. He is obedient to God. He is faithful to God and the situation gets worse. Have you been in that kind of scenario? done the right thing and it's actually deteriorated. You've actually made matters worse by obedience. He prays and gets put in a den of lions because he prays. And, and humanly speaking, in that situation, I know I'd be thinking, God, I've done the right thing here. I've been faithful to you and what's it got me? I'd have been better keeping my mouth shut. I'd have been better hiding away in my bedroom where nobody could see me. I'd have been better just muttering these prayers quietly. It's getting worse instead of better. There's no obvious sign of improvement. You might pray or think like the, the author of Psalm 73 who says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. That Daniel could be understood for saying that kind of thing and so can you. God can handle it. If you're here this morning and you've done the right thing, you've acted with integrity and the situation has got worse, I hope you're encouraged by this story because this is what happens to the people of God. You're not alone. You've not been abandoned. You've not been neglected. Things are not deteriorating because God has abandoned you. This is what happens to the people of God over and over and over again. When there's no way out except God then only God will get the glory. And that's exactly what happens. Daniel could easily have said, couldn't he? Oh, what's 30 days? I've done 80 years of faithful obedience. What's 30 days? I could just stop praying. Take a month off. Take a month off and show some loyalty to King Darius. Oh yeah, King Darius, what about him? How's King Darius doing while Daniel's in the lion's den? Verse 18, then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions or entertainment were brought to him. No food and sleep fled from him. King Darius in the palace, sleepless night. If you went on booking.com and there were two options, a night in the den and a night in the palace, which one would you choose? I know what I'd be choosing. A night in the den or a night in the palace? What's going to be the most peaceful? What's, what's going to be the most harmless environment? What's going to be the best environment to be in? Verse 23, Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. There was panic in a luxury dwelling and there was protection in the lion's den. Panic in a luxury dwelling and protection in the lion's den. If you're in a lion's den this morning, if you feel like your situation is bleak and hard and tough and you belong to God, you are protected and cared for and loved by him. This passage is real evidence that circumstances are not what we need to change. 
What is the secret of contentment? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can face it all because it's Christ who strengthens me, not my circumstances. Daniel chapter six is really clear evidence. I encourage you to go and read it. It's not about external circumstances where we find our peace, where we find our comfort. We find it in Christ. We find it in him. They ruled a big stone over the lion's den. They ruled a big stone to seal him in to say, you know, this is going to separate you from the care of God. This is going to block off God's mercy to you. We'll, we'll rule a stone over the den to stop you. We're going to stop you from experiencing the protection of God, just like they thought by ruling a stone over the tomb that Jesus would be secured in there. No way for God to reach him. No way for the Father to care for him. No way for the Father to protect him. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The stone was ruled away. For Daniel and for Jesus, the furnace should mean the end for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The den should mean the end for Daniel. The cross should mean the end for Jesus, but it doesn't. Whatever it is that should mean the end for you this morning as the people of God, on the authority of his word, it's not the end of you. Nothing can separate you from his love. You fill in the blank, whatever it is, whatever the doctor said, whatever the court said, whatever your mum or dad said, whatever your employer said, nothing can separate you from the love of God. In this passage, they, they load up all the evidence, don't they? The government officials say it, and the satraps say it, and, the, and everyone says that you should have this edict, and it can't be changed, and it can't be changed, and, and it's not going to be changed. And God says, Daniel is safe, regardless of what anyone else says. The cross and Christ's death and resurrection showed us that his power means that not even death has the last word. A few weeks ago, I said to you the quote from Tim, Queller, Tim Keller, which has been really precious to me. Recent days, when God seems to be killing us, he's actually saving us. He's actually saving us. It's not the picture for Daniel. When God seems to be killing him, he's actually saving him. Can you embrace that in your own life, whatever the intimidating situations are, whatever the overwhelming situations are, whatever the end seems to be, when God seems to be killing us, he's actually saving us. Don't get fixated on how things seem to be going. The reality is you are totally, fully cared for and protected by a God who loves you and cares for you. Don't be fixated on your circumstances. A night in the den or a night in the palace, the king could not sleep. Daniel was not harmed. Just as we finish up, you'll never guess what happened to the guys who maliciously plotted to get Daniel thrown into the den. They ended up in the den and their families as a total destruction and end to the enemies of God that were against Daniel. There is no trace of the enemies that stand against the purposes of God. What shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? May you know his care and protection. The stone was rolled away and Daniel walked out. The stone was rolled away and Jesus walked out. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. He is not here. He is risen. Death could not hold him. God's care was that sufficient. God's care is that 
sufficient. Can I encourage you this morning to put your hope in Christ, not your circumstances? He is secure. Our circumstances change. And prayer is one of the ways that we put our hope in Christ. Let me encourage you to establish a routine of prayer. Establish a routine of prayer and experience the reality of God's protection. Let's take a moment to pray just now. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we bless you for the truth of your word and how it comes to us in time and in season. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that your word would speak to us to help us to see things like you do. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Help us, Lord God, to have such a great view of who you are that we would be willing to be obedient no matter what the cost so that you get the glory and we get to enjoy your protection. Be with us as your people and help us to worship you now. There truly is none like you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.